This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Real Real Podcast with me, Natalie Barbu. I am so excited for today's episode. I am interviewing Allie Bonar. She is the CEO and founder of Queen Granola Butter. She has founded the one and only granola butter out there. So if you like peanut butter, almond butter, but you want a nut-free version, yeah, this is it. It's amazing. She sent me a few of them to try, and they are so, so delicious. So you need to try them. They also sell them at a few local Whole Foods and a few local supermarkets. So definitely check it out on their website to see if it's being sold near you or order it online because you don't want to miss these. They are literally so good. But today's episode is with Allie. We talk a lot about how she's one of the co-founders of Queen Granola Butter, how her journey to create this granola butter came about, um, how she's running a business, And then we also do talk about her previous eating disorder very slightly in this episode. So if that is a trigger warning for you, uh, I just wanted to throw that out there that there is some mention of an eating disorder. So just wanted to put that out before you listen to this episode. But overall, this is such an amazing episode. Allie is so inspirational. I have actually heard another episode with her and she was just so, so, so inspiring. So I had to have her on my podcast and we actually did a podcast swap. So my episode is going up on her podcast on Wednesday. So if you guys happen to be watching this on Wednesday or later, you can check out her episode on her podcast where she interviews a lot of amazing people there too. I have been wanting, of course, to get a little more personal in my podcast. So I'm thinking of doing like a structure to these intros, maybe asking myself a question like a current favorite of mine or a high and low of the week. I think something like that could be interesting. So please let me know. DM me what you guys like to hear but I would say my high of this week well we'll start out with the highs and lows we'll do that um my high of the week is just this weekend this weekend was such an amazing weekend uh it was it was great like I am living alone for the very first time and I didn't know what to expect I was scared I was gonna get lonely and while it has been lonely I'm not gonna lie it has also been really fun and I've realized I can entertain myself more than I thought I could (laughs) and Pretty much what I did this weekend was I went, I actually have a friend and we actually met through Instagram. So she DM'd me and we met up, um, but we actually went to Key Biscayne, which I have never been to Key Biscayne um, besides going out to eat there. So if you don't know, Key Biscayne is just an island right off of Miami. It's, it's further south and it's so beautiful. It's very, very islandy. Like it's very, I mean, obviously it's an island, but it's like you're living the island life when you're there. And I was like, I want to raise a family here. Like this is the place I want to raise my family because it's so tropical and it's so community-like. Like everyone knows each other. Everyone walks around. Everyone takes their golf course. Everyone drives around in a golf cart everywhere. Like it literally, I feel like I was in a movie when I was there. The houses are so cute and it just feels like such a small little quaint island town. And then you are literally 15 minutes away from downtown Miami, like so, so, so close. So I definitely think that that would be such a cool place to raise a family because you're giving them that like island life while still being really close to like a really big city. And I've just enjoyed Miami so much more. So we went to Key Biscayne. I got so, so sunburned, um, but that's okay. I actually truly took a weekend off. Like I usually work on Sundays and while right now this is Sunday and I'm recording the intro, 
it's not really like working. Um, so I took a true weekend off and I hung out with my cousin last night. We got dinner in Fort Lauderdale and I also really love Fort Lauderdale. And I'm just, I think every, every day that I spend here, every weekend that I spend here, I'm realizing how much, how much I love Florida, like how much I really, really love Miami and Florida. And I never thought I would move back here. I never, ever thought that because I am originally from here. And I always told people, people were always like, do you ever miss like living in Florida? And I moved back when I was pretty young. So I was like, oh, well, like, no, I like visiting because we've had a apartment here for 10 years now. And so I would always come here on vacation and I was like, yeah, I love visiting, but I don't think I could ever live here again. Like it's too chaotic, whatever. No, my mind has changed. It is crazy at what COVID can do or what the pandemic did. Like I just realized that there's so many amazing cities out there and I, I love South Florida. Like I really, really, truly love it. And I'm so happy here. So I, like even being from here, like it's just a whole different experience. And you know, like when you're from somewhere and your mom or your dad or your drive is your mom or your dad is driving you and you're like, or, or you're in an Uber and like, you're not paying attention to the road. So like, I feel like I didn't have that great of a sense of direction when I was here. Like when I would like come here with my family and stuff, cause I was like always in the passenger seat or the back seat. And now I know this sounds so silly, but like I'm learning the ways of the road. I'm learning, Oh, I got to get on 95 to go here. Or I know, Oh, like that street. Okay. Yeah. I know what's there, you know? And I'm, I don't know. Things like that always make me so excited. I remember when I lived in New York, I was so excited when I, when I could like get somewhere without the map. Like I was like, I could get on the subway, get off at my stop and like get somewhere without the map. Or like, I remember one time someone stopped me on the street and they were like, Hey, how do you get to whatever? And I literally pointed them in the direction that they needed to go. And like, I don't, I can't even tell you how excited that made me. And I think that's the same thing here. Like the fact that I can go places without the GPS or like, I know where things are and I know like the neighborhoods a little bit more. Obviously like Miami is one of the biggest cities. I swear, like it's so big. I think people underestimate how big it is. Um, but you know, it's, I still have so much to learn, but um, it gets me really excited. And like, when I tell you it's big, it is freaking huge. Like I think people think Miami and they're like, Oh, South beach. I don't step foot in South Beach. You won't see me in South Beach, really. I get my hair done in South Beach, and that's, like, the most I'll do. I don't really like South Beach. Most people in Miami will also tell you that. Um, but I feel like most people, when they think of Miami, that's what they think of because that's where, like, the really nice hotels are and, like, a lot of bars and restaurants and clubs and stuff are in South Beach. But I just have been learning to love all these other areas and areas that I would have never gone to with my family. Um, but the only thing I'm missing here is friends. Like, I'm going to be honest. I'm so glad I made um, my friend who lives really close to me and, like, my friend Kelly lives in Florida. Um, and I have my cousin in Fort Lauderdale. So, you know, I, I do have some friends but I do miss having like a solid group of friends or just friends that I can talk to and you know pick up the phone and be like hey do you guys want to hang out or get brunch or whatever I feel like I'm still very very new here and I don't know how to make friends as an adult I feel like it's so hard to make friends as an adult so if you live in South Florida let me know um because I'm always looking for friends I feel like people think like oh she'll never read her dms or like it's creepy to reach out to someone but like if you think we're similar and you think we'd get along shoot me a dm um i tried to read all of them and yeah so <laughs> putting putting my application out there to be your friend does that sound weird uh anyways that's my high of the week this weekend was just such a great weekend i honestly was so happy like i was like very happy like it was one of those things where i was like this is what happiness is like <laughs> and i think it was just because i was really content so that was one of the great highs. Um, and then I would say a low was that my startup, which is Rella, we had applied to an accelerator for NC State and we didn't get it. So 
that was a really, really big low. Um, it is of course discouraging, but I wasn't even discouraged. I literally was like, it is their loss. Like I, I feel like I'm so confident in what we're creating and I'm so a hundred percent sure that this is going to be successful like and we're going to execute it right and all of that stuff and like of course there's gonna be ups and downs along the way um but it didn't discourage me it was more just like darn like I'm I'm bummed but I'm not like doubting Rella if that makes sense um because I think it's still gonna be amazing and it's honestly NC State's loss no offense NC State but I think you really passed up on a really great opportunity I, I don't think they I mean I know that they don't take equity so I don't think it's like a monetary thing that they missed out on, but it is a, I guess, thing that they can put on their resume that they missed out on or not resume, but you know, like, oh, we had them first because I do think that we will be very, very successful and uh, sucks that NC State didn't think that or I know that they thought that, but they didn't think we were top five. So there were 50 applicants. We made top 10 and then we did not make top five. But according to the guy that I was communicating with, he was like, it was literally the closest decision, like whatever. And I just feel like we, we honestly learned a lot from it. And he gave us some feedback of what we could do in our pitch. Cause he really believes in us. And he's like, listen, this is maybe the, the direction that you should go in or not direction, but like the way that you should spin it, the way that you should talk to people about it. Because at the end of the day, the people that we were pitching to on an average age was probably 50 years old. I mean, majority older men, um, so I feel like they don't understand the industry as much as I do. I know that they don't. So it's just a different way of spinning it um, and of like determining the pitch. And honestly, in this podcast with Allie, we talk about, you know, starting a business. And like I know in her, the podcast I did with her, we talk all about investors and like co-founders and team. And like, oh, my gosh, it was such a tangible episode. Like you need to like take notes when you're listening to that episode. And same with this one. This one is such a good episode. So if you're interested in the startup world, then definitely listen um, here. And then, of course, Rella has a podcast. So if you guys want to hear more about what Rella is, it's my startup that I'm creating with three other co-founders. And we have a podcast where we interview social media experts. We're also providing value on our Instagram account. And yeah, so definitely be sure to follow us there and also listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can listen to it on Spotify as of now. Um, but I am so excited to get into this episode. Before we get into the episode, you guys know I love to do my reviewer of the week. So let's pull that up. If you guys have Apple Podcasts, I listen to all of my podcasts on Spotify, but I will go and review podcasts on Apple Podcasts because I know how much it means to people. So if you guys have Apple Podcasts, which everyone should if they have an iPhone, please go and review it because that's what really helps the podcast and it helps it grow. So if you don't mind, that would be incredibly helpful. Thank you very much. <laughs> this podcast reviewer of the week comes from a username that's just a bunch of random letters and numbers. And they said, great tips for entrepreneurs. I love how much information is provided in each episode as a young entrepreneur's perspective. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Um, of course, if you guys do review uh, my podcast, please take a screenshot and send it over to me. But that was really sweet. And I love reading your reviews. I always smile so much when I read them. So it's the only way to really interact with the podcast, I feel like. And that is it for the intro. If you guys like these little longer intros, let me know. You guys can always fast forward and go to the guest. No offense will be taken. But I do want to just talk to you a little more on the pod. So thank you guys for listening to this intro and this ramble. But let's get into the episode with Allie. 
Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Heirs tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream. It is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 400 50 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration, and according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today as it should with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet, Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Thank you, Allie, for being on my podcast. Yes, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I'm so excited. You were one of the guests that I listened to a previous podcast you were on and immediately I like followed you. I was like, I need to have you on my podcast. It was like the episode wasn't even done yet. And I was like, done. Like, (laughs) 
Oh man. I know I'm, I'm definitely an open book. So sometimes I re I don't actually, I don't never re-listen to podcasts with myself in them, but when I'm recording, you know, or talking to people, I'm like, Oh, probably shouldn't have said that. Or like, Oh, it's going to be a little awkward. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, <laughs> no, it's all great. I mean, it was super inspiring. So I'm excited to have you here and we're going to start with setting the record straight. So that's some um, stereotypes, some assumptions. And the first one is starting a business is glamorous. <laughs> oh, a thousand percent false. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, could not be more false. <laughs> yeah. I feel, I feel but like on it social looks media, glamorous. It yeah. lo- yes, it looks true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, I feel like starting a business sounds glamorous because the word entrepreneur is like, oh, it's so cool if you can call yourself that. But there's totally. so many things that go wrong and like they never stop going wrong. So I feel like it's not the most glamorous job. <laughs> Girl, I agree with you. I mean, today, for example, I, right before we got on this, I was just talking to my, one of my co-founders and he was just like, everything that could go wrong today has gone wrong. So yeah, <laughs> there's always tomorrow, but we were just like, it just some days, you know, it's not our day. Exactly. And the next one is raising money to start a business is difficult. Ugh, I mean, I would say true for us because we did it for the first time right in the middle of COVID. Um, And so I was, you know, have never, and we can talk about this more in depth, but like I've never raised money before. Um, Neither had, you know, either of my co-founders. And so it was sort of a combination of learning the ropes during a time, which was just obviously unprecedented. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people are kind of hanging on to their money. So um, I would say true for us, but I think in the most, you know, for the most part, it really depends. Like, I think if you have a good, um, you know, a good foundation and a good, um, story and you're confident in your product, you know, it's not necessarily easy, but it's just, you know, the, if the more passionate you are and the more, um, you just believe in what you're doing, I think the people will kind of come. <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with you. We're in the stage of raising money right now. So, um, it's definitely been, none of us have raised money before either. So it's, it's such a learning curve it and is. it's also like, you don't want to take money from anyone. You know, it's still like exactly a it's relationship. Weird, totally. No, it's this weird thing. It's almost like dating where, you know, you, you kind of want to play hard to get, but at the same <laughs> time, you know, they have what you want, right? Like, you, you need to raise capital at the end of the day. That's why you're reaching out to them, but you don't want to be too eager or too desperate or give off that desperate energy. So it really is a weird thing. And it's not my favorite process just because, you know, it's also so time consuming. Like I just want to be focused on growing the business and, um, yeah. And it's just like a weird dance almost. Yeah. Yeah. I I could not agree more. And like, you're a few steps ahead of us, but it's, I, when I listened to your episode, I was like, oh my God, this sounds so familiar. Like with what we're going through now. Totally. And then it's also strange because, you know, it's so hard to get those first few commitments, which I think it's so great when you reach out to friends and family, because they're just like supporting you as Mm -hmm. a founder. And then it's just weird now, you know, we've closed the round and it's like, as soon as you close the round, people come out of the woodwork and they're like, I want to invest. I want to invest. And you're kind of, then you're in the power seat. You're like, Oh, sorry. Like, you missed, you know, you missed it, um, which I love being there, but I hate being like, we need money. <laughs> right. So, right. Yeah. And the next one is there's no such thing as work-life balance. I mean, I would say true, but not in a negative sense. Like mm-hmm. I think when you're doing, and this is sounds so cliche and annoying, but it really is like when you're doing what you're passionate about, you know, they kind of meld together in a really organic, beautiful way. Um, that said, I will say it's very easy to, for me personally, 
you know, when I am passionate about something and even if it's, you know, work and I'm doing what I love, it can become a little bit of a, you know, burnout situation. And so I have to set these guardrails and boundaries for myself. Um, like last night I was looking, you know, we're trying to do, um, well, I guess I can't share what flavor we're trying to do. Um, <laughs> I, I always do this. I almost like yeah. our secrets. <laughs> so we're planning a new flavor launch and one of the ingredients we're having a really hard time finding an organic version of it. And so it's like, you know, 9 PM on a Wednesday and I should be winding down, getting ready for bed. And all of a sudden I embark on this, like, you know, rabbit hole on the internet, trying to source this ingredient. And it's just like, those are the times where, you know, even though I'm passionate about it and it excites me, it's not necessarily the best for my mental health. Cause then it's like, you know, today I'll wake up and I'll be tired. So I was like, all right, Allie, you know, you can table this, this can wait till tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I think you can find a balance, but it's not this, you know, kind of cut and dry structure that you sort of think of. It's more just this like flowy, you know, Mm-hmm. ongoing thing, but right. Right. I think for me, I'm like work-life balance. I don't think exists in the sense of not everything's going to be balanced in the same exact way. Like you're not going to have half your day is work. Half your day is life, I guess. I think it's, it's more of like, depends on the day, depends on the week. If they, those things might shift, like maybe one day you'll have more of a social life than you're working, but like another day you might stay up late. So I think it's, it's not like per day. I feel like it's just like as a whole, it could exist. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what were you doing before you started queen? So what is your background and what were you working in before you started this granola butter company? Yeah, I know. So random. Well, yeah. So for anyone who's listening and you haven't heard of granola butter, I mean, you are not alone because it's never existed before. Um, it's essentially, you know, a nut butter texture, but it's made out of oats. So it's nut free kind of tastes like liquid Teddy grams, churro. Some people say oatmeal cookies, whatever. Um, but yeah, I never planned on, you know, getting into the food industry. I actually, before this was working in tech, um, in health tech in San Francisco. And before that I was pre-med in college, which is so weird because I hate blood. I hate sick people. You know, I don't know what the hell I was doing. Um, it was kind of an ego thing, I think. And also a fear of not, not wanting to not have a, a roadmap and a plan, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. Cause now, you know, as an entrepreneur, like there is no <laughs> roadmap. Um, but yeah, I started out as pre-med, I was studying nutrition and, you know, the reason I started studying nutrition in college, you know, really came out of my eating disorder, um, journey, which I'm super open about, as you probably saw on my page. Um, and that just, you know, for over a decade of my life, I struggled with body image issues, disordered eating, restricting, binging, you know, orthorexia, all of the things really. Um, and so I started, started studying nutrition in college. Cause I thought, you know, the more I learned about nutrition, maybe I could unlock this secret to, you know, mastering my body and losing weight. And just, I, I was hungry for control really is what it came down to. And it really, you know, rather than finding this solution, this magical answer that I was looking for, it really spiraled me the opposite direction down into, you know, a deep obsession with food and really a mentally unhealthy place to be. So, you know, eventually after I graduated college, a few years out, I really realized, you know, this is not okay. Like it was taking over every waking second of my day, you know, really 95 to 99% of my day, I was spent thinking about food, thinking about my next meal, how many calories I had just eaten. And it was just, I mean, I'm exhausted just telling you about this. Like it was a living hell that I had created for myself. And I was like in my early twenties and I'm watching my life, you know, really pass me by. And so 
you know, I really, at that point was like, I have a problem and I need help. And I think something I'm so passionate about expressing and sharing, especially on my Instagram is that disordered eating doesn't have a look right. So I weighed the same amount that I do today. I looked exactly the same, you know, I wasn't this, you know, quote unquote, anorexic looking woman. I wasn't frail or underweight. And so number one, that was really easy for me to hide. And then number two, you know, no one was concerned about me. No one knew. Um, and number three, I didn't reach out for help because I thought, well, I'm not sick enough or mm -hmm. I don't really have a problem. I was really in denial. Um, so finally, that was sort of my breaking point, though, was just being sick of all the headspace. And I reached out to someone I actually found on Instagram um, for help and, you know, started this journey as cliche as it sounds, but this journey of self-love, food freedom, um, just intuitive eating, you know, getting back to myself, really, and unlearning a lot of these diet culture you know, rules that I had created for myself. And in that process, I promise this comes back to my company. Um, but in that process, I started to, you know, reintroduce a lot of foods that I had restricted heavily for years. Um, so this journey of food freedom is just, you know, not thinking of foods as good or bad, which I had done for so long and, you know, really eating my fear foods again. And part of that was eating, you know, nuts and nut butters, which I was terrified of like peanut butter and almond butter because, you know, so, so calorically dense, yeah. um, in air quotes, for anyone not watching. Um, and so I, you know, as I started to add them back in, I really had a hard time digesting them because, you know, I spent 10 years of my life just treating my body like utter trash. You know, I would starve myself all day and then I would eat everything in sight. And, you know, my gut health was just a mess. And so I, my nutritionist I was working with at the time was like, you know, let's like slow your roll. Like, let's try and incorporate some nut free spreads, see if that, you know, while we're healing your gut is something you could tolerate. So started to add in, you know, sunflower seed butter, soy nut butter, like anything I could find that was a nut-free spread. And honestly, you know, not to bash those products, but for me personally, it just, they didn't do it for me. Taste wise, I missed my beloved almond butter. You know, it tasted so good. Um, I tried Trader Joe's cookie butter, delicious, made my body feel like trash. Yeah. So I was like, okay, there has to be some sort of in-between, right? Like you know, something that has the nutritional profile that makes my body feel good and something that tastes as good as Trader Joe's cookie butter. There's nothing out there. And so, you know, this wasn't something that I went into thinking I'm going to start a company. It really was just a personal selfish thing for me. Um, and so I started playing around with oats and I was like, had this epiphany. Why has no one done an oat-based spread? You know, and I'm in my little San Francisco kitchen, you know, searching on my phone for oat butter, you know, oat based spread and nothing is coming up and, you know, started playing around in my Vitamix. The first iterations were complete garbage. Um, I was literally taking like Trader Joe's granola and blending it with coconut oil in my blender. And it was like, so dry. I yeah. needed to like <laughs> chug water in between bites. My poor roommates were just like, you know, humoring me. Um, and so, yeah, really, I mean, started doing that just on the side, giving it to friends and family and really anyone who would listen. Um, but again, it was just, you know, sort of a side hustle. Wasn't anything I was planning on doing full time. Um, fast forward, Eric and I went to Paris in September of 2017 on vacation. And one of his friends from childhood, who was like really the only person in our life that was a professional chef, um, was living there at the time. And so we ended up, you know, telling him about the idea. Um, he loved it, understood the vision and we brought him on as a third co-founder. So he really, you know, created the recipe that we use today and 
obviously took it to the next level because what I was doing in my kitchen was <laughs> not it, you know, it just couldn't sell it. Um, and so we brought him on and then, you know, that's when things really started to ramp up and we launched in March of 2018. Um, but still, you know, worked on it as a side hustle for almost a year. And then, you know, started getting into whole foods and press juicery and some other bigger accounts and realized, you know, I can't do my tech job and this either one. Well, right. so decided to leave and, and go full time. And we've just been, you know, growing from there. Um, but again, you know, going back to the, the glamorousness, like mm-hmm. I would say, you know, I'm very passionate aside from body image stuff, very passionate about telling people sort of the, I love that you talk about the real, real, because, you know, when I went into it, I really had no idea what I was in for. You know, I thought I'd be baking granola all day. It'd be super fun. Um, you know, really like a cute, you know, little side hustle. And then it's a lot of work. It's the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's also the most rewarding and, you know, gratifying. So that was kind of long-winded, but (laughs) No, that was, I mean, I think it's good. We saw kind of like the whole picture with that and like how your journey started. And I'm curious, were you into cooking before or were you into, were you, did you have a passion for, you know, cooking meals or coming up with these creative recipes? Cause I feel like someone like me, for example, like if I couldn't find it online, I'd be like, okay, I guess there's nothing about it. And I wouldn't even like try making it. So do you have like a background in that? Yeah, totally. No, that makes, that is like a piece that I did kind of gloss over. So, um, part of my journey outside of, you know, just adding foods back in that I was afraid of, um, actually happened on Instagram. So I really, you know, I started my Instagram account, which I still run today is just my personal account. And the way that it started, if you scroll back far enough, I really used Instagram as an art medium. And like, that sounds weird, but I was creating sort of these like over the top, you know, really drippy smoothies and these crazy yogurt bowls with like edible flowers and food coloring. And it really was, it was cathartic for me. It was therapeutic because for so long I was so rigid and structured around my eating. Um, and there was just, it sucked all the fun out of it, honestly. And so, you know, when I encountered Instagram and kind of, you know, found this beautiful medium that I could go back into the kitchen and start to play with my food again. Um, it was really healing for me. So that's sort of where, you know, me playing in the kitchen started. Um, and I've always been in, interested in cooking and interested in food. Like I remember in third grade, my mom thought I was so weird. Cause she was like, yeah, you would wake up before everyone else in the family and just offer to make everyone's lunches for them. And when you were like nine you know, or seven, or I don't know how old I was in third grade. Um, but yeah. And so I've always had this sort of little, and I think that was sort of stripped away and just kind of that life and that love for food was sucked out of me when I started dieting. So I've been really trying to unlearn that and find that again, but no, I agree with you. Like if I wasn't into food and I was like, this doesn't exist, I'd be like, meh, okay. I guess I'll just settle for sunflower butter. Um, but there was something in me and I've always been sort of, um, just, just interested in weird combinations and, you know, thinking outside the box with food. And so I think that's how I just thought of that, you know, weird idea. And then luckily brought, you know, Ariane, our co-founder who really kind of brought that to life because clearly I had the idea, but I couldn't really execute it. (laughs) So, so there's that, but, um, but yeah, that's a great question. And so you have these, uh, you had this business and it started as a side hustle. When did you realize though, that it could be a business? Cause at first it was just for you, you know, so that you can feel good. When was that moment where you're like, wait, people will pay for this. I can sell this. This is actually a business or could be a business. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it was, 
it really was the moment when I realized that it wasn't just going to be this fun, new, you know, spread idea. Like, I think it's cute. <laughs> it's, it's fun and exciting to have this idea that no one's done before. Um, it's sort of this shiny thing where you're just like, oh, I want to create something that's never been done before, but it's not that enough. You know, that's not enough to be a viable business model. And that's mm-hmm. not enough to have a successful business. You really have, if anyone is out there listening, you know, and has a similar idea, you really have to find the white space or the gap in the market or really the customer need, right? So you see a lot of products out there that are, you know, me too products. And, um, and that's because, you know, like with the key, like the keto thing, for example, right. It's like, there's so many keto products now. It's like, well, there's a huge need in the market and there's people that, you know, it's popular for a reason. And those products are successful for a reason, you know, whether it be a fad or not, like in my opinion, I think that, that, you know, time is going to pass pretty soon, but there's all these me too products because they kind of have latched onto this one thing. And you don't see, you know, with a product like ours, it's a little more rare to see, you know, that sort of true innovation because it's a huge risk, you know, with, with, innovation comes customer education and that's a huge roadblock. So, you know, at the beginning, I think it was a really fun sort of shiny idea and we just went with it as a side hustle. Mm -hmm. But I think the moment I realized it was actually a viable business was when we um, learned that a lot of the schools are nut free. So all these moms started coming out of the woodwork, you know, when they saw me on Instagram or whatever. um, Cause we just launched, did like a soft launch on my Instagram page. And they were like, Oh my gosh, my kids need this. Like they won't eat sun butter. They can't bring almond butter or peanut butter to school. And I don't want to feed them, you know, soy nut butter. They don't like the taste. Like there was just no option for them. And so all these moms, you know, started buying our product and they were like, my kids love it. So I saw this huge white space because I'm like, number one, parents will do anything for their kids. Right. right? Like, especially when it comes to healthy eating these days. And then number two, it's not just the small subset of people with food allergies. It's really anyone who's in school. So I was like, the market opportunity is massive. Um, so that's when I kind of saw a little bit more of a white space, but even then, I mean, it had started to catch on with, you know, millennials who were just like health conscious and wanted a fun new option. Um, and so at that point, you know, Eric and I, and Ari, we all looked at each other and we were like, you know, we're just going to do it. Like if all else fails, we can go back to what we were doing we don't have kids. We don't have any responsibilities. I didn't even have a dog yet, you know, and we're like, let's just go for it and see how far we can go. Yeah. I love that. And when, how did people find you? So I like moms were coming on Instagram, millennials were finding you. Was it just your Instagram or did what other marketing did you do for people to find queen? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. In the beginning. I mean, so we've been bootstrapped for the first really two and a half to three years. Um, I mentioned, we just raised our first round of funding, which was a small friends and family round, but really we've operated from a super lean bootstrapped approach since day one. So, you know, I was thinking, okay, how can we basically get the most bang for our buck? Right. And Eric and Ari and I, we do not come from wealthy families. Like we, yes, we worked in tech, but it was like, we were living in San Francisco. So you know, more than half of our income was going to rent. (laughs) So we didn't have a lot of savings to work with, to be honest with you. And, um, and so really I, you know, I thought the biggest bang for my buck would come from influencer marketing and not the traditional influencer marketing where you're, you know, paying them thousands of dollars. Cause you and I both know how the other side works. Um, cause that's how I make a living currently, but really just sending out product to anyone who would listen, you know, and I, I knew how I like to be approached, um, as an influencer from brands. So I just sort of, you know, leverage that. And when I was reaching out to people, 
super personable, you know, didn't come in salesy or businessy. I was just like, Hey girl, you know, I'm just about to launch this new product. Would love to get your feedback, you know, no strings attached. Just want to send you some, see what you think. And that worked really well. So anyone listening who is maybe on the brand side, you know, just talk to influencers like they're people because they are. (laughs) And, um, you know, everyone loves free stuff, um, to a point it doesn't pay your bills, but you know, and yeah. So we just started sending, you know, product out to as many people that wanted to try it. And so that really helped. I think people started posting about it on their stories and the good news with launching a product that is, you know, a little more, I guess, never been done before is people are just intrigued, right? They're just like granola butter. Like, what is that Um, for better or for worse? And so at least, you know, that was helpful because it kind of caused people to just pause for a second and take a second look. Um, we didn't do any digital ads in the beginning. We're, you know, doing those now, but at the very beginning, it really was just word of mouth through influencer marketing. Um, and then, you know, just organically posting on my page, I had about probably 10,000 followers at the time. Um, so a pretty small, you know, test audience, but I think, yeah, most of it was just sort of organic word of mouth. Did, do you remember how many influencers you reached out to and sent product to? Cause I think that would be interesting to know the number, how many, like it took to, you know, get the word out. Definitely. Yeah. So I was really strategic. It wasn't just the number of people. Um, you know, I mean, obviously that's helpful too, to sort of like spray and pray as they say in, in PR, but it really, I was strategic about, um, sort of segmenting, you know, who I wanted to reach out to. So I knew an easy, you know, Launchpad market was the health conscious millennial, even, you know, health conscious sort of millennial moms, but that's really where I fit in. That's where a lot of my, you know, friends were who also were food bloggers and stuff. So I was like, this is a good place to start. I know people like this or will be interested in, you know, our product. Um, so then I segmented them, you know, into like micro influencers, mid tier, and then kind of the heavy hitters. And I knew that, you know, obviously people with less amount of followers would be more inclined or more likely to try it, post, share up the yin yang. And then obviously the bigger influencers would be like, no bitch pay me. Um, but I figured, you know, Hey, maybe I can try with the bigger ones, especially because I'm also, you know, and I hate the term influencer, but I'm just saying, it cause yeah. you know, it's like industry term. I'm also a content creator. Um, so I was like, you know, maybe they will, won't see me as a threat. They'll be like, okay, this girl is like me, you know, she's not a business yet. Um, and I still, to this day, I reach out for my personal account to send product because I find that, you know, aside from having that annoying blue verified check that for some reason people look, you know, right. open my message, but um, it does help, you know, rather than reaching out from the brand account. So I would say to give you a number, you know, we probably reached out to around, a hundred to yeah, maybe like a hundred in the beginning. Um, and I just think for any small business, it is the best, best use of your funds, like to send out free product, or if you have some sort of, you know, subscription, like giving a free subscription, if you're a fitness instructor, I mean, that is the biggest, the best thing you can do. And I know it's kind of scary because you're giving out free shit, but really the return, I saw a stat recently that was like the ROI on influencers is, you know, 600%, um, which is just insane because, you know, you do any kind of digital marketing or digital advertising and you're, you know, excited if you, if you break even. Right. (laughs) So 
yeah. So that was huge. So I wouldn't say you have to also, you don't have to go so big in the beginning. Like for us, you know, we did probably a hundred, which was a ton at the time. And even now, you know, we're trying to send out stuff on a consistent rolling basis. Um, and I try and hit another tip is I try and hit like different, um, segments. So right now I'm reaching out to who knew, but there's a bunch of teacher influencers, um, which is perfect for us having, you know, being a nut free product. So I start, you know, sending to teachers and then on the, you know, suddenly I'm getting recommended different profiles of other teacher influencers. And so I sort of segment it like that. And then I'll move on to, you know, the Peloton instructors and then weight watchers or whatever, you know, tribe people feel like they fall into. Um, so then suddenly they're looking around and, you know, all these teachers are like, I feel like every teacher is posting about this stuff. I have to try it. Right. Um, so yeah, that's just kind of what we've gone with, but you know, there's so many different approaches. Yeah. I love that you said that about the segmenting. Cause I think it's really important and things that people don't really talk about. You know, it's not like, like, it's not just about, Oh, reaching out to a hundred influencers. It's reaching out to a hundred influencers in the space that you want, which is various spaces, like you said. And even with the ROI, I have a friend who works in marketing for a small business and she spent $500 on influencer marketing. She sent out this product to some guy that's that very niche business. It's like a bartending company. So it's like for, she sent it out to some bartender influencer. And she says within like two hours, she has already seen $1,500 in sales, like from spending 500. And then in two hours, $1,500 is what they already got back. And that's only in the first day, like honestly only a few hours. So she's really, really, she's kind of using this as a case study to say like, this is why we need to do more influencer marketing. Like it's so good to have that recommendation and that review. And even if you're, you're sending it out for free at first and then they use it, or you're sending it out for free and then you jump into a campaign with them. But exactly. Influencer marketing is so, so important. And it's, it's crazy at how much it can return, like how much you can get back from it. Yeah. No, that's such a good point. And I I think you have a great point of almost, yeah, sending stuff out for free at first, you know, especially if you're a small business and you're bootstrapped, but then, I mean, the influencers who have given us the highest return are ones that I didn't expect. Like you would think it's, you know, the, the people with millions of followers. No, no, no. It was, you know, one woman had, I think like 70,000, um, so sort of a mid-tier, you know, influencer, right. but for whatever reason, either her audience really resonated with it, or she just has a really loyal, engaged audience that trusts her. So it's such a great way. And then, like you said, you can identify those influencers and be like, okay, you know, we want to do a campaign with you because at the end of the day, you know, sending out free stuff can only get you so far. I think like you can't, especially at this day and age, you know, people are a little more savvy and they know they're just especially on the influencer side, you just get bombarded with free stuff, which sounds, you know, all nice and well. And then you realize that, you know, you have to make a living somehow (laughs) and pay the rent. (laughs) Kale chips don't pay my rent. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And then you, you're in grocery stores now too. So you're in whole foods. Are you in any other grocery stores as well? Yeah. So Whole Foods is our big one. We're in four regions with them. Um, we just hired a VP of sales about a month ago, who's sort of, you know, helping us with the retail side. Cause I think for so long we were focused really on just, you know, e-com. So we do about 60, 65% of our business on e-com and then the rest split between retail and food service. Um, so yeah, I mean, Whole Foods is a big one, central market in Texas, Erewhon, you know, Barron's, buy right, all these, yeah, different kind of small regional chains. Um, but in terms of sort of getting into like, you know, the targets and the Kroger's and the Costco's of the world, um, that's really something that we've learned just from mentors and investors and stuff, um, to really slow down with. Cause I think 
I had a tendency to just be like, I want to be in every single store in America, (laughs) you know, tomorrow. And what we've learned is, you know, it's exciting, obviously, if you get into like a target, for example, but it's number one, really expensive. So, you know, they call, they call it conventional. So, you know, whole foods would be the natural channel sprouts, et cetera. And then there's conventional, which is obviously target Kroger. Um, and it's super expensive to actually just be in those stores. So there's so many different hidden fees that you wouldn't know about as a consumer. You know, there's, um, slotting fees, which just means you have to pay to be on the shelf. Um, you have to pay to go on sale. So lots of things, you know, obviously paying for advertising in their digital like catalogs or whatever couponing. So it adds up. And I think, you know, really it's important to have that strong foundation of, you know, just sales and revenue in general, before you embark into one of those stores. And then on top of that, you know, say you get into Target or Costco, it really is like a one-shot opportunity. Like they Mm -hmm. trial you and they are savage, right? Like their main goal is velocity. So they're like, if you're not, you know, it's not about being on the shelf, it's moving off the shelf and (laughs) selling. So if you're not selling, you know, they're going to cut you and there's, you know, they remember you and they're not going to bring you back. So we really want to set ourselves up for a really great, you know, our best shot at any of these stores. And, you know, Whole Foods has been such a great partner. Like they took a chance on us from day one when no one had ever heard of granola butter. And I mean, no one still has, like we're still really small. Um, but you know, many buyers are really risk averse. So, you know, they'll, that's, I think, again, as I mentioned, one of our biggest hurdles is, you know, we'll go into a buyer meeting and they know the almond butters, they know the peanut butters, but they don't, they're like, show us data, like show us proof that you're going to succeed in our category. So it's sort of a, you know, chicken and the egg situation where, I think the more data we have from Whole Foods, the more regions we expand into, then it'll, you know, we'll have a better case study for going to other retailers like Target and, you know, the bigger ones. Right. I I had no idea about all of the hidden fees about it. I feel like it's one of those things that it looks like Target wants you. And then if anything, Target pays you to have (laughs) to be there, but I had no idea about the hidden fees. So that's really interesting. Um, And also the behind the scenes. So like, how did you get into Whole Foods? Like, do you have to know someone? Do you email them? Like what, what's that process like of getting into a store like that? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. So I think, you know, part of, um, part of our success with getting into Whole Foods was our naivete, right? So I think, you know, I know how it works now and how it's supposed to work, but how we got in was definitely not (laughs) that path because like I said, I had no food industry experience. So what I did, you know, don't follow my lead, but Hey, it worked out in the end. Um, I was just, I mean, I was savage. I was like a pit bull. So I basically was, you know, we were living in San Diego at the time and my dream was to get into whole foods. Mind you, this was not from a business strategy perspective. It was purely just like, I love shopping at Whole yeah. Foods. Like <laughs> I want to get into Whole Foods. And so I remember, you know, going on to LinkedIn and I was just, I had no idea what to even search. I was just like, Whole Foods buyer, Southern California ended up happening, you know, to fall on this woman's profile who looked to be like the right contact. And I started typing it and it didn't have her email anywhere, obviously, because, you know, LinkedIn. And also she doesn't want to give out her email. And so 
start typing in, you know, first name dot last name at wholefoods.com yeah. first initial last, like all these different, you know, things. And I just kept getting bounced back after bounce back. And then finally I didn't get a bounce back on this one format. And the, you know, cause there's some companies where they all use the same format. And right. I think Whole Foods is one that just it's random, which is, you know, I don't know if they do it on purpose or it's just shitty, but, um, so finally didn't get a bounce back. And I basically just reached out and was like, you know, Hey, I'm Allie just started this company. Like would love to send you samples. Didn't hear back for months. And I was like, okay, this chick either, you know, didn't read it or it didn't go to anyone or she's not interested. And mind you, in the meantime, I've been following up like 10 times, you know, Mm -hmm. that fine line of being stalker status, but persistent. Finally, I get a response and she was like, Hey, you know, sounds super interesting. Would love to try it. And I was like, Oh my God, freaking out. Send her samples again, didn't hear back for months. And I was like, she hated it. You know, when your brain goes to the, and the whole time I'm falling up, falling up. And, um, we actually were in an Uber on the way to our first expo West, which is, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's like a huge food show in, in Anaheim. Um, biggest really food show, 70,000 people, I think last year or the year before COVID. Um, and so we're in an Uber, our first trade show ever. And she goes, Hey, you know, we love the product. We want to bring you on to 50 Whole Foods in the Southern Pacific region, which was like California, Hawaii, Arizona. And she goes, are you at Expo West? We'd love to come by the booth and introduce, you know, meet my, meet you. And I was crying in the, like crying in the club. Like I was freaking out and, you know, come to find out that's not typically the way that you get in. So for anyone listening, the way you typically get in, um, is there's a lot of, um, you know, different ways, but the main way is you'll have a broker. So it's sort of like a middleman between the company and the buyer, because I mean, if you think about it, like buyers are getting bombarded by mm-hmm. so many brands, right? Like everyone wants to get into whole foods. So if they have a broker that essentially manages and represents, you know, 10, 20 brands, then the, the broker can just go in and do a presentation to the buyer of all of these products at once, right? Like so much more efficient. The problem with that is number one, you lose you know, the, the personal touch of, I mean, for her, I, I went into detail about my eating disorder, you know, recovery, my story. Like, I think probably she gave me the time of day because she felt the passion (laughs) and number two brokers take, you know, typically some sort of commission, either three to 7%, um, or they take a retainer, you know, flat fee. So, you know, it's expensive as a small brand. So I think if you really are small and you're trying to get into stores, my biggest tip would be to reach out to, um, like the small independent natural. So sort of the mom and pop, you know, natural food Mm -hmm. stores. Um, because it's like, most of the time you'll email the owner and it's like, you know, the buyer is the owner is the manager where, you know, the bigger stores, they have a lot more sort of, um, hoops to jump through. So, yeah, I mean, that was sort of, you know, how we got in, but again, there's so many different ways. And I think just that, you know, TLDR is just be persistent, you know, be, but respectful, right? <laughs> but, but you can, you know, do, you know, just keep kind of reaching out and following up. Um, as long as you're not like stalking them. <laughs> I love that though, because I think I am someone that I get scared to send, you know, that first email or I'll be like, Oh, I don't want to be annoying and follow up or I'm, you know, I get so much in my own head about it. And I realize that it's not like every, I've had so many people on this podcast that have that had successful businesses and all of the one of the main like commonalities between all of them and including yourself is that the the persistence, the following up, the reaching out, the being creative with the way that you reach out. Like that's one of the things that I feel like separates some people in the sense of like you email once, let it go, never talk to them again and think it didn't work out or you continue to try. And 
I think that is one of the best pieces of advice and something I'm trying to do way more of and not being a, a not being afraid of who I reach out to. Like I always try to think the worst that happens is they don't respond. Like literally that's the worst that happens. (laughs) Yeah. And I've had, I mean, to be honest, like obviously it's a fine line, right. But I've had so many, especially in the food industry. I don't know if buyers just like are so busy or they don't check their email, but with one market in particular, I mean, I don't want to throw them under the bus and say the name, but I reached out probably, I'm not kidding you, like 15 to 16 times. Granted, this was over the course of maybe, you know, a year and a half period, but I was consistently reaching out like pretty much every month. And to the point where I was like, this is hilarious. Like I, you know, and, um, and I had one of those, um, like trackers, I think it's through HubSpot where you can see if someone's opened your email Mm -hmm. and they were opening my emails and I was still following up. And so, you know, I think had I not, like, I could have just been like, screw it. They're not interested, but something inside me, I was like, you know what, I'm going to keep like, until they tell me, no, I feel almost entitled to just keep reaching out. And then on like the 16th email, you know, I get an email back and they were like, we're so sorry. You know, we're super interested. Like would love to try samples. Like we've just been super busy been meaning to get back to you. And ever since that one interaction, it was like a case study for me to be like forever. since you know, since that time, I'm like, I'm going to just keep reaching out until I get a no. Um, and I'm the same way. Like if people are annoying, like salespeople to me, you know, I always just respond like just no, or like, no, thanks. Because I don't want to waste their time with continuing to follow up or having them follow up. But, um, yeah, I think persistence just really pays off. Yeah, no, I, I love that. It's definitely something I'm trying to carry over too. And I think that that's really, really genius. And I had no idea about the behind the scenes of getting into the grocery stores and the targets and all of that. Like, I feel like it's so much harder than you think. And it's such a cool thing though, to say that like, oh yeah, you're in whole foods. And that was like your dream from the beginning. Cause I actually looked on your website. I was like, can I find them like anywhere near me? And like, you're in the whole foods near me also. So I'm like, okay, I'll go in awesome. and check it out. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause where are you based right now? I'm in Miami right now. Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. We're, yeah. We're in Florida, which was so random. That's another thing too, is they, you don't get to decide where you, um, launch into, like they tell you, which I kind of assumed, but it was like, we started in that one region in Southern California. And then, you know, after a year trial with them, they're like, okay, we're going to expand you to the Northeast and Florida. And we were like, well, okay. Like, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I don't know anything about those regions, but you know, let's yeah, do it. So that works. Yeah. <laughs> and starting a business is very expensive. I feel like, I mean, there are ways to definitely bootstrap it and be lean and how, did you bootstrap in the beginning? Like what were, was, was your budget like, or not, don't give me numbers, but you know, like how did you save money in the beginning until you realized that you had to raise money? Yeah, no, that's such a good question. Um, I mean, in the beginning, I think something, and obviously every industry is different, right. But like for us in the food industry, there's really two different paths you can take. You can either outsource your manufacturing to a co-man or a co-packer is what they call it. Um, And the pros to that are obviously you're not having to make your own product. Amazing. Um, You know, as glamorous as it sounds, it's really not, um, especially at scale. And secondly, you know, they really can, um, it's more efficient because they do it for a living. You know, they're at mass scale, so they can really cut ingredient costs and stuff like that. But the downside is many times, you know, obviously they take a cut 
And secondly, their minimums are, you know, it's hard to find a small batch co-packer, right? So mm-hmm. for a product like ours, you know, we're not like a shelf, we are shelf stable, but we're not, you know, just like a collagen powder that can sit around for years. Like our shelf life is about six months. Um, and so, you know, we were getting quotes from co-packers that were like, yeah, we can make you, you know, a hundred thousand jars. And we're just like, we just started, like, how are we going to sell, where are we going to sell that to, you know? Um, so that was kind of from day one, we were like, I don't think we're going to go the co-packer route. And many brands do, if you have, you know, taken on funding pre-launch or you have a big account lined up, like it makes sense if, you know, Costco's like, we're ready to launch you just, you know, tell us when you're ready for the PO and, and let's do this. But for us, we were sort of doing that, that slow, steady growth. Um, so we decided to keep everything in house, which is the alternate, option, making your product yourself. But obviously the downsides to that are, you know, you're trying to run a business and market it and grow it, but here you are, you know, being pulled away to the kitchen to actually produce it yourself. Um, so I would say, you know, if you're a solo founder, maybe that's not the best route. Um, but I have two other founders and Ari, as I mentioned, has a ton of experience in the kitchen. So he really kind of, you know, um, created the roadmap for us in there and helped us scale everything up. Um, but we started in a small shared commissary kitchen. So pay by the hour, we had no, you know, overhead fixed costs at the beginning, which was amazing. Cause as you know, sales are just like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. In the beginning. Um, one day you're like, we're going out of business. And the next day you're like, we're millionaires. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that was kind of interesting. And then, you know, just again, slowly. And as we grew and as we built, um, you know, more accounts and started word of mouth and everything. Then we were able to move into, you know, another facility, which was just, we were sharing it with one other company in San Diego. Then we were there for a year and now we're in Philadelphia and we have, you know, a 12,000 square foot facility that's just ours. And so it's like slowly moving up and, you know, really not spending more than your means as well. Like, um, you know, we could have stayed in California for this facility and spent probably, four to five times more than we are, but we decided to uproot our entire lives, move to, we're in Warminster, Pennsylvania right now, which I never had heard of before. And we're paying, you know, a fraction of what we would have paid in California. So it's just, it's give and take. And, um, I think other things that you can do that are very cost-effective, you know, like PR, for example, when we first launched, I, you know, did all of our own all of our PR. I didn't hire an agency. I didn't work with anyone. Um, you know, I just reached out to reporters and again, I just found them. I Googled them on LinkedIn, you know, reached out to them on Instagram, um, mind, body, green, bon appetit, you know, Rachel Ray. And like, that's how we got, uh, featured in all of those publications was because I reached out and I was like, yo, I'm the founder. You know, we just launched this cool new product. It's never been done before. Like, do you want to try mm-hmm. some? Um, and so, yeah, I think there's ways you can just do everything in-house. Um, our label design, Eric, my partner and co-founder, he designed all of our, our website, our labels, everything himself. He just did it, you know, on illustrator. And then he taught himself how to code. So he did our website. Um, so it's a lot of like just doing shit yourself. And, yep. you know, I think again, there's a fine line with that. Like for example, legal stuff, I would really recommend outsourcing. Um, and even financial stuff. Like we're lucky that Eric, you know, again, is sort of our 
you know, number, he's like our savant, our financial <laughs> savant. Um, and he'll just like, he'll teach himself weird shit, like learning how to code. And, um, he was a bioengineer when we went to Berkeley together. So he's just like a numbers guy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so he's the one that really does all of our numbers, but if you're, you know, a solo founder and that's not your shtick, that's not your thing. Like you can outsource that as well. So don't force it if it's really not happening, but you'd be surprised. Like when you're forced to learn things, you know, as you know, you do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. There's no other option. Yeah. I mean, I could not agree more. I feel like, especially with us, we're, I'm going to, I'm doing all the PR, the, all the marketing, all, you know, and I don't want to outsource that because I know that I can do it right now. Like eventually, yeah, I'll probably outsource it. But in the beginning, yeah. it's not necessary to spend that money. And I feel like right now, like I'm not taking a salary, I'm not taking any money, you know, but obviously if I hired someone, I'd have to pay them. So I would much rather just do everything myself in the beginning. And I, if, especially if I'm capable of doing it. So that's, that's been like a thing for us is that we're really trying to obviously stay lean and not spend a ton of money. Even though we are raising money, we want to stay as lean as possible, even when you are raising capital. Cause you know how that goes. Like if you don't want to waste your money and spend above your means, even if you have so it. So smart. So smart. Yeah, no, I think just continuing to operate from that bootstrapped mindset, even if you have money in the bank is just right. the smartest thing you can do. Yeah. Right. And what is your biggest piece of advice then for that you have ever received? So I feel like you kind of, fe- I, I don't want to say like fell into entrepreneurship, but I feel like it came <laughs> out of your journey, you know? So no, I totally did. Yeah. So what's yeah. the best piece of advice that you've received during all of this? Yeah. Oh, I mean, so many things. I think, you know, going back to what we were talking about, I think before I started this company, I really, I stopped myself a lot of times because I was afraid. I was afraid of the no, right? So again, operating out of that mindset of all they can say is no, you know, really being a pit bull. um, And at the end of the day, like that's the worst that can happen is they say no. And you're at the same point that you would have been if you didn't ask at all. Because I think in in the past, you know, I was either insecure with myself or what I was asking for. I felt like, you know, I was asking for too much or, you know, it was a dumb question or whatever, just a lot of that insecurity. And that actually, you know, all that overthinking caused me to just not even ask. Mm -hmm. And I want to tell you a really seemingly random story, but it just, I mean, it paints the picture. So my mother is just a hilarious human. She is queen of just all they can say is no. And she's the one who really taught me this. Um, And I never thought I would apply it to business, but it has been absolutely instrumental in what we, again, not saying that we're like this huge success, but just like what we've achieved so far. So my mom is a huge Rolling Stones fan and growing up in San Diego, you know, she would always go to different concerts, whatever, all over the world. She went to Brazil, Germany, like she just loves the Rolling Stones. So I was home from college one, I think it was like spring break, my junior year or something. And she was like, I just booked us uh, tickets to Chicago. We're going to go see the Rolling Stones tomorrow night. And I was like, Oh, that's like a four hour flight. Like it's not like a little, you yeah. know, from San Diego. <laughs> and I was like, all right, let's do it. So we go, my mom's a dentist, by the way, we go and she starts talking to the lights guy. She talks to everyone. And I've always, my whole life been like, Oh, you're so annoying. Like just, yeah. can you not talk to someone for once? And she starts talking about, you know, cause if, if she's not like, you know, if she's in the second row, she wants to be front row. If she's not, if she's front row, she wants to be backstage. Like she cannot be close enough to Mick Jagger. Like she wants to be like on top of him. (laughs) And we had really great seats. They were, 
obviously not in the pit, which is like the main area, but they were, I was happy. I was content with them, you know? And she starts talking to the lights guy and she's like, I will trade you. You know, if you're ever in San Diego, I'll trade you dentistry, dental work. You know, if you can get me down into the pit somehow. And like these wristbands to get into the pit are thousands of dollars. And I'm just like rolling my eyes. I'm like, Oh God, mom, you know, not again. And he's like, Oh, like I actually need a dentist. I'm moving to San Diego, like just crazy shit. And I kind of like perk up and I'm like, wait, what is happening? And he was like, let me go see what I can do. Like, you know, I'll be right back. And I'm just like, okay, this guy just used that as an excuse to get the hell away from Leslie. (laughs) And he comes back with two pit wristbands. We're like 10 feet away from Mick Jagger you know, partying the night away. And it's just like, that was, it was like such a weird random moment. But for me, it was really just like, wow, you know, I would absolutely never have the balls to Mm -hmm. ask him because number one, I would be like, that's such a dumb question. And then it just worked out for us. And it's just that moment was like, okay, I can apply that to any instance in my life. Like, you know, asking out your dream guy, like, you know, anything business related, like you really never know until you ask. Um, so I've tried to operate out of that mindset and it's just helped me so much. I love that story. And I love that piece of advice. It's something I am definitely trying to work on this year. This year is like my biggest, the year that I'm like, not worrying about the no or the rejection, or I'm just going to ask and I'm going to reach out and I'm going to network and doesn't matter what they say. I'm, I'm just gonna be happy that I did it. So I love it. I think that's such a good piece of advice. I'm so glad you shared that because it's something that I honestly needed to hear also. Yes. And even if they say no, usually it's not just like a hard no and they close the door. It's like, no, but you know what I mean? Like, they'll be like, no, but like, let me introduce you to this person or, you know, you'd be a great fit for this. Like there's always, at least you're opening up the, uh, the possibility. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Well, Allie, where can they find you and where can they find queen granola butter? Yes. Okay. So you can find us. Um, our website is queen.co. So K W E E N dot C O. Um, I'm on Instagram at my name, Allie Bonner, and then our website or no, um, our Instagram for the brand is queen and co. Um, and if you're on the West coast, East coast, we're at whole foods. Um, otherwise just Amazon, our website, all that good stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I'm going to be going on Allie's podcast. So I'll have that in the show notes, but this was awesome. So thank you. Thank you. So fun. Hey, my name is Lovon Roomf, and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here, and vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then. Hey there, my name is Renee Rena, and I am the mom friend you have always wanted. I am also the host of the Mom Room Podcast. We publish two episodes per week, a co-hosted episode on Tuesdays and a solo episode on Thursdays. Popular topics include pooping and having sex after giving birth. 
I have a solo episode where I talk about not sharing a bed with my husband and why that's okay. I hope you'll tune in to these conversations every week. Join us on Instagram at the mom room podcast and start to feel a little less alone in this crazy thing called motherhood.